Welcome back to the Anxious Millennial Podcast. I'm your one and only host, Alexandra. And starting off season three with a bang, technical difficulties, my friends, my listeners, and to my wonderful guest, Camille Diaz. I cannot wait for you to hear this fantastic interview. I must sincerely apologize for those technical difficulties of the original airing of this podcast episode. It is so incredibly humbling to remember that common humanity catches up to us no matter what. I wanted to remind my listeners of the very reason for the existence of this podcast, which was to put mental health at the forefront. A previous version of myself would have probably beat myself up forever for having made that kind of a mistake. But you know what? Being in a new era where we put ourselves first and making sure that we learn from mistakes instead of beating ourselves up about it, I want you all to know just how important my listenership is. And so with that being said, the show must go on. And without further ado, jumping right into introducing my fantastic guest, Camille Diaz. Camille's magic lies in the fact that she is unequivocally unintimidating, but you know she's an expert. How she manages to balance that, I have no idea, and I'm still trying to figure that out. We take deep dives on how generational relationships affect our view of what that taboo thing is, money. We also talked about how we are all raised to relate to money in different ways and how couples relate to it as well. So without further ado, Camille, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome. Well, it's about time that we connect. We've been wanting to for so long. So heading straight into it, Camille, what is your word for 2021 and why? Okay. So I have to confess that I do not have a 2021 word. Turn of events. I'm going to tell you the story behind it. Okay. So when I first got introduced to the one word concept, it was back in 2017. Mm -hmm. It was at a training camp that we were doing and it was in, I want to say the end of June. Okay. So I picked a word and started with that word in July and I've carried my word every year, July through June, like almost being in a school district where they go July through June with their budgeting year, you know? their fiscal year runs differently. So that's how I've done it. And of course it gets to January and everybody's like, what's your word? What's your word? And I'm like, I'm still in the middle of my word from last year. <laughs> still working on it. <laughs> and never match up. So I looked up my words because I've been keeping track of what they were and I've done discipline and I did drive. I did boss. Nice. And then this past year I did climb. Oh, Camille, they're all so good. Which very interesting that I picked the word climb and that happened to be the year that I had to have reconstructive surgery done on my knee and could not walk for 10 weeks without crutches for a year that I ended up losing my ability to walk for a while so you know the universe does interesting things so it is as of time of recording we're in August and I intended to pick a new word in July nothing came to me I thought about it and you know, usually when I get one of these words, it sticks. I think of the word and I'm like, that's the word. I can't let it go. It's there. I'm in. Nothing. Just nothing. Nothing has found me. So where I'm at right now is kind of thinking, okay, perhaps my word needs to be something like relax or flow or just kind of a little more chilled out than where I've been for the past few years. And I, I've decided I'm okay with letting myself float for six months. And then when we get to 2022, perhaps I will be ready 
to truly embrace the word for 2022. So a few things, climb, discipline, boss, all words I deeply appreciate and strive for and identify with. So all fantastic words. And another thing I am really appreciative of is your assertiveness in not succumbing to the fact that you're coming on a podcast and you're being asked to choose a word. You're Mm -hmm. still in the middle of your word. And when I see a woman feel empowered, anyone really, but especially a woman feel empowered by her assertiveness, I love it. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I, you know, I'm, that's kind of one of the things I'm about. I'm working on my next book and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but that idea of doing things in your own time and on your own schedule and in a way that works for you is super important to me rather than trying to force it into a predetermined box that someone else has laid out. Mm, I believe words you used before were let it find you. So writing that down. (laughs) Please do, please do. (laughs) Finding a sticky note, writing it down, but switching gears, focusing on you. Tell us, Camille, the financier, tell us about your journey. Why money? (laughs) (laughs) My journey and how in the world did I end up starting a a financial agency? Yes. Um, So I am a serial entrepreneur and have had multiple businesses throughout my lifetime up to this point. And I'm sure I'll either continue to grow the ones I have or make some more whatever it is I end up doing. I had one that was with a couple of partners and it was a ballroom dance studio which was like the coolest thing just so much fun what ended up happening was one partner left and a new partner came in and it was a chemistry meltdown like just total disaster not not gonna work so i said okay we have to close And I was devastated because I had visions of being in my 80s, still teaching people to dance. You know, like it was, I was really seeing this as a a long-term thing. So when we closed, uh, we had to break our lease and we got sued and we went to court and then we had to pay money. Plus we had debt for all this other stuff that we'd done in the studio. So I was in kind of a big financial mess. It took a couple of years, but I eventually got myself turned around and, and got on top of that stuff. And it, when that happened, two things happened. One, people started calling me and I ended up opening my consulting business because they were asking for my business help. They'd seen my systems, my processes, how I was organized, how I got things done. And they're like, help me do that. After about the third or fourth person asking for that help, I realized, oh, this is a thing and I should charge for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. So that's how that piece got started. How the financial piece got started was I was networking for my consulting business and somebody said, hey, will you watch this class I have on money? And I was like, I don't really want to watch your class, but we're networking and I want to build a relationship. So fine, I'll watch your class. So I watched the class and it answered the questions I had been asking my broker that he was not answering. Hmm, Light bulb moment. Yeah. Things that I was not feeling comfortable with the answers or comfortable with, he would go, well, that is not an acceptable answer for when we're talking about my money. So I watched the class and I said, okay, this is, this is answering what I wanted to know. This is telling me things that I didn't know before, that I didn't learn in school, that my parents didn't teach me, that my broker wasn't telling me. Okay, great. I've got this info. And he came to me and he said, okay, you seem 
really, really fired up about this. Do you want to come to work with us? And I was like, I have no idea if that's even possible, if I could do that. I just don't know. But he said they had a mentoring program and they teach me. And I was like, great, I'm in. I'll give it a try. <laughs> so I did. And it turns out that I loved it. I was kind of a natural at it, understood the concepts, understood things that were going on, could figure out you know, strategies of what might be best for people in the future, um, and just really enjoyed doing the work of helping people get their finances sorted out and get on track and create a plan that I know will carry them for the rest of their life and pass money down to the next generation. I think it's fabulous. It is fabulous. And those are skills that many aren't taught. And I also have to thank you. And again, I'm going to go on the woman bandwagon. And I don't care whether this shows my bias or not. But sorry to say, generalizable. But we all, I think, infer that the finance world is highly male dominated, has been for a long time. So as a woman, I thank you for that role. You're so welcome. And I'm going to take the leap and say when people think of financial advisors, most of the time they're thinking not just men. And I don't want to sound too harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway. They're thinking old white guys. Oh, absolutely. It's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. And so women and women of color totally able to do this. It's actually in our company, we have about 60% women agents versus about 40% male agents. Uh, because we we just really let people be who they are and figure this out and and train up and it's one of those word of mouth type of businesses you know it's always who do you know that you can trust and talk to and so I've actually had great success with it and really enjoyed it. Well, Camille, I applaud you and thank you because it's a very important education you're providing people. So to that, Money Heart your podcast, fellow interviewer. We actually just finished an interview on your podcast all on millennial money, hint, hint, tune in. So can you please tell me, Camille, why a podcast? Why Money Heart? Right. Yes, I will. And the, I just want to say that, you know, my sparkly outfit is not one that I normally wear all the time, um, but I do <laughs> dress in costume for my podcast every time. And so we dressed as part of the flapper theme for this, for our recording that we just finished. Yes, we did. Um, I wanted to start a podcast about money for probably about two years before I actually got it started. I could not figure out how I would add value in that space because there are so many podcasts on money and so many things on how to create a budget or how to get out of debt or how to save or rich retirement strategy people thought was best. I didn't feel like I would be bringing anything extra or anything new if I was revamping those same topics. Once COVID hit, I went home, no networking, no going out, no lunches, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like my creativity grew back because I'm just sitting there, you know, talking to myself. So all of a sudden I have this idea, oh my gosh, we could explore the emotional side of money. And I said, I will never run out of topics. I will never have a shortage of people to talk to. And there will always be value that can be added in that space because money is one of those things that, as you said, is taboo. People don't want to talk about it. You you sit down at you know Thanksgiving or whatever, you're allowed to talk about the weather. You're allowed to talk about sports. You're allowed... <laughs> You are not allowed to talk about politics, religion, sex, or money. Those are the things like you can't talk. So I figured let's just let's just get it out there because 
we all have to interact with money. We have to deal with it in one way or another, whether we like it or not. It's part of life. So let's just make it a little easier. I can appreciate that so much that you're taking a deep dive on a topic that is not comfortable for many. You know, that that's how I felt about anxiety as well. It's mental health is not comfortable and neither is money. But those are kind of the two things that drive us all, to be quite frank. So meeting of the minds, meeting of the minds. You cannot get away from needing to think about your mental health in all areas. And you cannot get away from using money. Even if you live in a little hut in the woods, at some point, you might have to get something, groceries, water, I don't know, whatever it is, go visit a sick grandmother and you will need money. Just a little bit. You will need it. Oh, of course. I think we can all deny that it exists, but I think resisting the topic of money only brings you a lot of dissatisfaction with your life. And actually something out of left field for you, Camille, I'm so curious because money is such a polarizing topic. Do you have something you dislike about money and something you like? <laughs> sure. I'm not <laughs> sure there's anything I truly hate, hate about money. What I like about money is, you know, we call it money and there's lots of words for it. You know, people always have all these homonyms for, for money, but I like to think of money as currency. It is energy exchange. Mm. I do something for you. I receive money in return. I give money because I want something from someone else. So it's really just a way of exchanging energy between us. It's a formalized system for doing that. So I love that about it because it is completely flexible, mobile, changeable. You can do whatever you want. You can get, you can always find more. You can, you know, you can give some away. You can save, you can do so many things. Super, super flexible in, in options and of ways to think about it and of what it can provide and do. On the flip side of that, it's super, super flexible. So how are we supposed to know what to do? <laughs> and I think that's the frustrating part for most people is being able to make a decision because we get really nervous about screwing it up. We don't want to make the wrong decision. And sometimes we get paralyzed to not making any decision because we feel like money's important and we don't want to do the wrong thing. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I have a client who uh, her spouse passed away and left her money. So with that inheritance, she wanted to make sure to honor the person that passed away. She was super worried about mismanaging it because that energy transfer of, I have this person that I love, they're gone now. I want to honor them in the best way possible with the money energy that they left me. Wow. So yeah, it's a big deal. Of course, it's a big deal. I mean, there's so much emotion and for lack of a better term it's it's haunting even to hear about this particular situation because obviously there was love there there are memories there and i'm just always so fascinated with how money is so intricately tied to emotions and the way we've been raised and education and our parents or our family the way we were either brought up in abundance or not and even the way greed got tangled up into money. I'm sure you've gotten this amount of feedback, Camille, in your line of work where, you know, I'm sure you've had clients saying, you know what, Camille, money is all about greed. It makes me really uncomfortable to even talk about it. What do you do with that kind of pushback? Yeah. So 
there's that phrase that people think money is the root of all evil. You've probably heard that quote. It's actually a misquote. The love of money is the root of all evil. So it's placing money itself ahead of other things rather than using money as that currency, the flow, the energy exchange between things. That's where we get thrown off is that rather than looking at money as a tool, as an energy transfer, we look at money as the end goal of I need the money. No plan, no idea what we're going to do with it. I just need the money. And I think what you were getting at was the idea of greed. I, I have to have all the money for myself because I need all of the money. I don't know what I'm doing with it. I don't even know why I need it. I just need it all. That's kind of where we start to get our energy out of alignment. And that's when we start having the issues with, with I guess you, want, you could say negativity I'm around so, money. I'm so enlightened by the amount of, I think, psychology that's also going on behind a lot of what you're saying, because um, not something I would have thought about too much because, you know, I think of money as a means to an end. It's, yes, it is an exchange, but I, I just love hearing you say the energy exchange because you're, there's so much behind money. There's all of that. It's not just emotion. It's, it's, you know, even hearing you talk about how people view greed, what, what do you think of people who hold on to it and not out of greed, but out of fear? Where do you think fear. that stems from? Fear is huge. Usually fear means there's lack somewhere. Hmm. So they feel they are lacking in power or they are lacking in resources or they are lacking in friendship. They're, they're lacking in acknowledgement whatever it is they're lacking that's generating fear and they're trying to fill that lack with the money where do you think people's relationship and this again ties into fear right and what we're talking about psychology sure. of money but you know how do you think it's tied to people's mental health and maybe some of the early even childhood traumas they might have gone through with respect to money yes what do you how do you think that ties into one another huge inextricably linked whatever you get when you're young is what you tend to hold on to. And we know this is true for all areas. You know, if you were bullied, you might be a bully, but that kind of thing. If you grew up in a scarcity environment where you didn't know if you were going to eat the next day, you were not able to go on the field trip because your parents couldn't pay the $10 for whatever, you know, to get into the thing, that type of a thing that has created your money mindset to where you may not want money at all. You might be like, I'm giving it all away. I don't deserve money. You might be the opposite where you're like, I'm going to pull all the money in. I'm never going to spend it. I have to save, save, save because we never had enough. I'm going to make sure that doesn't repeat all kinds of things that we construct, you know, in our minds to compensate for whatever we had in the past. Now, if you had that, and you can, and even if you grew up with tons of money, you might still have things that are negatively impacting you now because you had a bunch in the in the past. And if that worked well for you, you might think I've got to have a lot now. If that worked poorly for you, you might be really averse to money and like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be the way my family was. So it it doesn't matter whether you had a lot or a little or whatever. It can really get in your head. Hmm. It, and it will. It, it has to be. So if you can recognize what your money 
story was and make a conscious effort to turn it into something you want it to be, then you'll be fine. It's when we don't recognize what our old money story is and make no effort to make what we want, then it just kind of rules us from the background. It's like backseat driving. Mm, If I may, Camille, the term money story is so very accurate. I mean, because everybody's journey is different and everybody's journey surrounding money is different. And you're right about the impact on relationships, on your career, on your aspirations, your ambitions, Um, on the relationship piece. Do you ever encounter situations where you see, you know, a partnership, a relationship, a romantic relationship where you see negative patterns and you're like, okay, I know this is going to be a problem for them, be it a new relationship or a relationship that's well on its way. Do you do you pick up on patterns in that respect? I do. I do. I'm very systems and processes oriented. I easily pick up on patterns and, and notice trends. I met with a couple, I don't know, maybe three years ago or so, three, three or four. And um, he was very much save, plan for retirement, invest, work super hard, have a plan for the future type of thing. And she was very much live in the moment. I want to have nice things. I want my house to be pretty. You know, they they had opposite money values. She valued spending and having goods and having a certain look. And he valued saving and preparing for the future. They could have come to a middle ground had they been willing to understand the other's point of view and understand where that person was coming from and then kind of work together to make a joint plan. They didn't do it. And I found out a few weeks ago they're getting divorced. Oh, that's awful. And I saw it two or three, four years ago when I first met with them. And I did my best to kind of explain and get them on the same page. But I'm, I do not have psychology degree. I don't have training in that area. And so even though I worked with what I could, I could see that they were on very different pages financially and that eventually one of them was going to get very frustrated with the other. And I have no details on on the divorce or anything or if something else happened. But yes, I can definitely see that in a relationship when it's happening. Um, And I'm really sad that I was right. Uh, That's one of those. It's kind of a bummer. I'm like, I wish I'd have been wrong about that one. Well, I think you know, there's a silver lining there where you said that there is possibility and that probably resonates with couples be, you know, inverse, you know, no matter who has more of the live in the now versus the one who has more of a saving mindset. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the key is you said that there is possibility to meet halfway and it all boils down, I believe, to communication, setting a plan and a system. You're a systems person setting that sort of parameter up front and removing the taboos, because the less you talk about things and the more you shove things under the rug, the more you repress, right. the more it bounces back up in your face. And uh, it is really right. unfortunate. I'm so sorry to hear that also. But, um, you know, that's a conversation that that I think couples need to continuously have. It's not just a one-time thing. It's like a you have to maintain that thing. 
you do have to maintain it. So I'll talk about my husband and I. Um, we are the opposite of that. I am the safer plan for the future person. I wonder how I'm good at a career in money stuff with planning for the future. <laughs> and uh, he is very much the live in the now, enjoy what you have type of thing. And when we started, we clashed a lot because we really had opposite ideas. What I think carried us through, and we've been married 19 years now, is we were able to appreciate that the other person must have some logic, value, good points to what they were doing. Hmm. And we each looked at the other person and said, okay, what can I learn from that and incorporate? And so he does more saving. He's got a retirement fund. He puts money in it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I go do some fun stuff sometimes. Whereas before I was like, can't do anything fun, just have to save. And now I enjoy life and he also saves. So we've really influenced each other for the better by trying to figure out which things does the other person bring, which I lack, and I can, I can gain that from them. And then I can share with them what I'm good at. Oh, I think the emotional intelligence behind what you just said is immense. And, you know, that takes, that does take some level of understanding and, you know, compassion for the other person and knowing that it's not because they're bad or less than and not because I'm bad or less than. And I think the meeting halfway, you're absolutely right. But then I love the positivity sort of um, stance where you're, you're thinking, okay, what's the good I can take from him and what good can you get out of me? And right. that's the kind of meeting halfway that really makes, I think, a couple thrive. That is fantastic. It really does. But don't think that we did that day one. Like, <laughs> seriously, we've been married for 19 years. We met back in 1993. So I don't know how many years ago that was, but it's a lot. So <laughs> just know that this was not like a one day sit down, have a little powwow meeting type thing and sort it all out. This was arguments and frustration and coming together and talking and just being very determined that we could find a solution and we could come to an understanding. See, that kind of authenticity, Camille, is exactly what I appreciate because you could have easily said, okay, well, it was very easy for us. We just, you know, had a very simple, lighthearted, non-confrontational conversation and we came to an agreement, <laughs> <laughs> which we all know is not the case in a couple, man. So I appreciate you being authentic on that. Thank you. Switching gears a little bit. Um, right. I'm just curious about whether or not you had a mentor that led you into working within the realms of yeah. money and, and finance. Not exactly. I really got into money and I think get into most of the businesses I do because there seems to be a need. And when I find a solution to something that I've been struggling with, I'm very compelled to share that solution with everyone else. I, I feel like that's kind of all of our job. It's like once you figure something out, you've got to turn around and help the next person up the ladder. So, you know, that, that kind of concept. Um, once I got into it, I have had quite a few mentors. I have mentors that are part of my parent company. They're actually co-founders of the company and they help mentor me, uh, which has been fabulous because it's always nice when the people who have been there for, you know, almost 20 years and have made millions and really understand this and gone through. They've told me stories about them counting change at the grocery store and coupons to make sure that they could afford groceries wow. for themselves and their kids. Wow. 
and they've gone through the whole journey of you know money as a couple and money in and being in the business and all that kind of so that's been a great mentorship there um and i also am always kind of looking for people that seem to know more than i do or have solved a particular problem so i have a, a, a I, I, I mean, I call my coaches, my mentors, too. I have a sales coach and I have a head coach. And, you know, I look to these people for expertise in their area. So um, as far as money, if I look way back, I remember my mom having a little note card, you know, a little three by five card that she wrote her budget on in pencil. And then when she'd spend, she would erase and write on it and erase the next one and write. So she always knew what she had. So that kind of tracking and being involved in money, I guess I was probably more comfortable because I helped her sit there and write the text to pay the bills. I put the stamp on the envelope, you know, stuff like that. So I was involved with money stuff very early on, which meant it was not uncomfortable for me. Um, but that did contribute to my super you have to save thing because she was on a super, super tight budget at that time. So I kind of had that mindset of there's never enough and you have to really save and plan super carefully. I realized that there's never enough story, not helpful for me in the future. There's plenty. That is the kind of abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. I I right. adore that because it really, and it doesn't mean, I think people don't understand sometimes when I, you know, the abundancy versus the scarcity mindset, the abundance mindset doesn't mean you go ahead and just, you know, pour money into, you know, buy clothes and just like spend every right. last dime. It's not about that. It's just about having that flexibility and, you know, the wherewithal to look forward and say, you know what, I'm going to have that outlook where I do believe in growth, you know, sort of a flexible, open mind in that, yes. you know, yes, my situation is like this right now, but what can I do to fill the gap, pivot and change ultimately and learn from this. Right. Um, so I kind of want to know, just as we're capping off here towards the end, what are you sure. most excited for? I know the last year and a half pandemic wise has been such a mind bend for so many, but what are you Camille most excited for? Actually, it's been kind of awesome for me. Um, it gave me a lot of time back in my schedule. It gave me the chance to start Money Heart. And it gave me the chance to work on my next book. So I have one book and it's called um, The Shakeup. It's about figuring out your path to happiness and developing the courage to follow it. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that good stuff. My next book is going to be, I believe, so a working title, The Optimized Entrepreneur, hmm. with the goal being to help people find that flexibility and freedom in their schedule as business owners. I have so many people I've talked to who are just so frustrated because like, for example, we're coming out of summer, they didn't take a summer vacation or have any time off because they feel like if they leave their business alone for a moment, it will disintegrate. Or, right, I, I'm shaking <laughs> my head. If they fall, oh my gosh, really? And so, or they, they, are the ones that are never on time to a meeting. They're always five or 10 minutes late. They're forever spending time texting, I'm sorry, I'm on my way, you know, things like that. They forget when the appointments are. Um, if their ideal prospect called up and said, I wanna do business with you, there's a really good chance they wouldn't listen to the message for two days or they forget to call back or something because they're just so overwhelmed and stressed. 
I really want to help those people that when they sit down to work, you know, they go to their desk and they're like, well, I have about a million things to do. I don't know which one to actually do. You know, that's where systems, processes, knowing your goals, actually translating them to your calendar. So, you know, when you're working on that stuff, all of that really is what I do. And, and I'm so excited about it. So excited to put the book out. Um, so excited to be able to get some uh, webinars and stuff going on that. So that that's my project that's happening. And I'm just tickled to be able to do it. Really, really thrilled to start sharing that stuff. Fabulous. I will be looking for that release. I will be looking yeah. forward to that, Camille. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can everyone find you? Yeah, so thank you for having me on. Um, easiest way to find me is probably through my website, CamilleDiaz.com. So that's probably the simplest. I'm on social media at Cam Unfiltered. And then, of course, you can follow the podcast at Money Heart Show. Ah, wonderful. Please, Camille, there's so many more deep dives. Let's do a part two. Fabulous. I would love to do a part two. A very special thank you to my guest. First episode of season three, Camille Diaz. She made the topic of money so enjoyable. I didn't know I can have that much of a good time talking about money. So please come back, Camille. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, inviting you to have a fantastic week and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.